is Ed Spencer Live, and this and every Saturday at this time, we have some really helpful conversations, and we're going to do that again today. And, uh, and you know, just for many of you, you know, we're not on all the exact same stations. For many of you, you just heard Mike Proveros fill in for Dr. Mike Raldelnik, and, and he, did a, he did a great job as a, now a fellow Southern California pastor, and as you know, the folks at uh, Moody Bible Institute are all filled up with graduation activities. So my show last week was not live because I was actually at graduation at the uh, at Wheaton College where, where the grad school graduation was uh, taking place on Saturday. And so we had a great day there. Got to see several of our students walk across and get their degrees, get their master's degrees. One of whom is a friend of our guest. We're going to introduce her in just a moment. But anyway, lots of, uh, lots of exciting times as particularly when you're listening to radio hosts who are connected to Moody Radio. Moody Radio is a ministry of Moody Bible Institute, or in my case at Wheaton College. You know, we're, we're filled with graduation awesomeness. So, uh, but one of the things that, um, oh, and I should mention too that if you want to listen to last week's show, it was actually with someone by the name of Mark Ryan. Mark is the pastor of Kensington Temple in London. And because I knew I was going to be unavailable, we pre-recorded that, and it's a fascinating conversation. And as always, you can listen to really all of these programs if you go to edstetzerlive.com. It's just a couple of clicks to subscribe to this as a podcast because maybe you're not you know, in and around on a Saturday morning or Saturday early afternoon every week. But if you subscribe to the podcast, you can listen whenever you want to as well. And I want to encourage you, too, if you're listening live right now, I imagine you are going to find today's show particularly helpful uh, because my guest uh, is is brilliant and insightful and going to be encouraging to you. Dr. Amy Orr Ewing is an international author, speaker, and theologian. She's the author of multiple books, including the best-selling Why Trust the Bible. Over the last 20 years, Amy has addressed parliamentarians in the Speaker's Room and Chapel at the UK Parliament, staffers on Capitol Hill, and at the West Wing of the White House. Uh, Amy is interested in the intersection of questions of the meaning of faith within the marketplace, education, and policymaking. And we had the privilege uh, together. I got to know her. We co-taught a course. There were uh, 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 several other guests as well, but primarily uh, Amy organized the course, N.T. Wright, and I uh, taught kind of chunks of the course, and we had some guests in the course. It was really a challenging and amazing conversation that kind of flowed out of that. Some of my Wheaton College students were there, uh, but also some of our uh, – it was actually a Wycliffe class, Wycliffe Hall at Oxford University where Amy and I were teaching that class. So so super excited. You know, she's, she's, she's brilliant. She's, she's persuasive on areas of the gospel. So, Amy, thanks for – I guess it's, it's afternoon or evening for you, so thanks for joining us on Ed Stetzer Live. Thanks, Ed. So nice to join you. Yeah, it's it's kind of early evening here, but I'm imagining beautiful, lovely, wonderful after, um, morning in America. And it's, yeah, it's wonderful to join you. Thank you. It's always morning in America. So that's a, that's actually yeah, an old on. political line. But anyway, um, so yeah, it, it is it, it is actually a beautiful day in Chicago, which is unusual. I'm, ac- I'm actually broadcasting live from the Wheaton College Billy Graham Center. Um, you've written this book, and I, I should tell our callers, we're going to invite our callers in a few minutes, we're going to give away a few copies to callers with brilliant, insightful calls. Sometimes people are like, oh, you're giving away copies, I'll just call in. But we're looking for brilliant, insightful calls. We're going to get to those in just a minute, but we're going to give away a few copies of Why Trust the Bible. And I read Why Trust the Bible before I knew who you were. I mean, people this people were talking through and more. So kind of tell us a little bit about your journey. What are the starter experiences for you in uh, defending the the veracity and authenticity of the Bible? Yeah, thank you, Ed. So um, my both my parents were atheists when I was born, um, and they got dramatically converted in their 30s. They were both academics. And um, my dad ended up becoming a pastor. 
we um, we were living in the second largest city in Birmingham. I was about 11 when I first heard the word apologetics. They took me to hear this wonderful American apologist called Josh McDowell, who I'm sure wow. many of your listeners yeah. will be familiar with. And even then, at the age of 11, I just sat through these lectures on the reliability of the New Testament manuscripts and I was kind of gripped it something happened my parents really noticed through my teen years you know I was involved in evangelism at school you know here in the UK we don't we don't have as many Christians as you guys do in America so I was the only Christian in my school until other people met the Lord you know and um through that, I guess I I always realised that your your faith has to be persuasive. It needs to not just make sense to you individually, but it needs to kind of connect with the the questions of culture. So um, I ended up going to Oxford University as an undergrad to study, and I got to study theology there, and that was a, a, a really kind of confronting experience because there I met incredibly intelligent liberal Christians or liberal atheists who knew the text of the Bible and were kind of throwing really hostile questions at me. And at that point, in fact, even in my interview for Oxford, one of the one of the professors asked me, you know, what are you going to do if we give you a place at this university and you get here and you experience all your naive evangelical assumptions about the Bible come crashing down around your head? How are you going to cope? Right. So in my interview, age sort of 18, I remember quite, you know, confidently saying, well, if it's true, then I believe this will stand up to scrutiny. And if it isn't true, I'm not interested in believing it. So um, through that three years of, of, of undergraduate study, there was a lot of back and forth. Um, N.T. Wright's writing really helped me. His his book, Jesus and the Victory of God, had just come out. This was in the 1990s. And that was an amazing support. I, I began to then meet scholars who held together a rigorous intellectual approach to the world with the convictions of of the Christian faith and you know showing how the Bible stood up to this and then um, at the end of my degree you know you you take all your exams and in Oxford you 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 know you take all these written exams and then you 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 have a sort of three-week wait to find out what your results are and um, about two days before the results were due to come out my tutor phoned me and he said Amy you're not going to believe this I'm really sorry to say, but the um, the university are calling you for a viva. That's like an oral exam that you would normally have at the end of a, a PhD. He said, I can't tell you what it's about, but you're going to have to come back to Oxford, appear before 14 professors wow. and just answer their questions. Wow. So it just so happened this was, was going to take place the day before my wedding. Oh, wow. <laughs> so it was like in, insane levels of stress. You know, most brides are kind of getting their flowers and their hair ready. And I was like, back in the books, get get ready for this test. So I, I arrived and yeah, 14 professors. And there was one professor in particular, a New Testament, who had hated what I had written um, about about the Gospels in particular and about Jesus' claims to divinity in the Gospels. And he just ripped into me. I, I, I had to 
translate some uh, passage of Greek, you know, just off the top of my head kind of thing. And then he just absolutely ripped into me. And um, through that experience, through the three years of study and what I had read, having all of this hostility and liberal stuff thrown at me, I my confidence in the Bible was stronger than ever. It was stronger than when I was 11 or when I was 15. Mm. Um, God's word just, it is true. And it does stand up to the questioning. And through that process, I ended up being awarded a first class degree and it, it all worked out really well in the end. It was amazing. God was faithful. But through that experience, Um, I realized that there isn't a separation between public truth, what is true for all to see and what we read in the Bible and, and, you know, perhaps what what we as people of faith have, have, have grown into our personal convictions to believe. And so that was the real foundation for what I've ended up doing, got involved in kind of ministry of evangelism and apologetics and further study. And it, it went on from there. But this book, Why Trust the Bible, I guess, is the fruit then of that first, I guess, eight to 10 years of working in apologetics and hearing the questions of university students in secular Europe, as well as in the States, and and trying to make connections between how we can show the Christian faith is true and what the questions people actually have about the Bible are. Love it. I love it. And important. And important they're having this conversation. One of the things that I've been leaning in and learning. And I gosh, I think I read that book in early 2000, maybe 2006, 2007, um, back when I was uh, teaching. And so, and going back to teaching, but, but, uh, but then it's updated. And so for those of you wondering where we're, the updated version is actually out October 15th, 2020. It's going, why trust the Bible revised and updated answers to 10 (laughs) tough questions. But I, I think that apologetics has, because as the culture around us becomes more secular, People are asking more apologetic-oriented questions. So, so you know, just John Dixon being here, I think he wrote the uh, forward. Or no, his endorsement's on the cover of the most recent Why Trust the Bible. Um, and, you know, John's from Australia, you from the UK. I think for those of us in the US, we're not as prepared, but we need to be getting prepared because if current trends continue, the percentage of people who identify as Christian goes down by 1% to 2% per year in the UK, the US, Australia. Um, but it's much different here. There's still particularly, you know, we have a radio station, a wonderful station in Chattanooga, where, I mean, that's still in the Bible Belt, but we're also on K-Wave in Los Angeles, where it's less so. And we're up in the Northeast, where it's the most unchurched part of our country. So it's different in different yeah. places. So um, I, I guess I want to ask kind of a broad question. When you're you know what? I was. Sta- I remember standing in a grocery store line in Nashville when I lived in Nashville. As, as a place called Lifeway, and just hasn't. I would often start casual conversations, trying to lead to witness, and it was always, "Well, I'm a member of so and so, or I go to so and so." There was just a church veneer that's there, and so conversations would be, you know, "Hey, do you go to church anywhere?" No, I used to go to so and so, and that leads the conversation. But for my question for you is, and you don't have those conversations in England. So what does it look like to start spiritual conversations and where does apologetics fit in? Because I'm guessing it comes in more readily in secular contexts. Yeah, well, yes, I think that's true. But I also think the questions about the Bible and questions about um, whether we can really believe it's true also happening in the church, aren't they? And in, in, in more kind of, I guess, 
religious faith backgrounds like like you're describing. Sorry, my dog is going a bit mad. I think so. She's uh, getting her here. She's getting excited um, back she's there. She's just greeting. She's just greeting. Yeah. My son's just come in. Apologies okay. for that. No worries. Yeah. Um, no, I think I found that that questions um, like you know, isn't Christianity, isn't the Bible sexist? Questions like, well, you know, how's the Bible any different from any other book uh, that that talks about faith? Questions like, you know, how could a loving God order the wars that you see in the Old Testament? You know, those are the questions that people who maybe have been raised on the fringes of a more Christian culture Mm. are now asking more but they were the questions I was facing, you know, 20 years ago here as well, just out there, just in the secular world. And so and what I was trying to do in this book was, yes, answer questions about the manuscripts and about, um, you know, those kind of, I guess, more evidential, factual based questions that are textual, but also really engage with the questions that postmodernism has thrown up, you know, questions about other faiths, questions right. about sexism, questions about even sexual ethics, you know, mm-hmm. isn't isn't what the Bible has to say about, about marriage and sex out of date. And so, yeah, I think perhaps the background of some of these questions is different according to our context, but actually they're coming up all the time. And often these are going to be reasons that people who are hostile to faith or who've walked away from faith, these are going to be the reasons that they give. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Good. We're going to continue our conversation in just a moment with Amy or Ewing. We're talking about her book just out in 2020, really a bestseller. And again, it's a latest edition. I read early edition and just amazing stuff. And Amy's amazing. So you want, I want to invite you to call in, have a conversation with us. Maybe you have questions about how to share your faith or questions about the faith. 877-548-3675. We're going to give Wig some copies of the books to callers. 877-548-3675. conversation with Amy or Ewing. We're talking about her new book, Why Trust the Bible, and we're talking about Why Trust the Bible in general. Uh, just for the break, we talked about some about the role of apologetics in our culture. I love I love hearing the story from here in Josh McDowell. I just, just yesterday, I was in California with Sean McDowell. He's on our faculty at uh, the new place I'll be serving in July 1 at uh, Talbot School of Theology. So, uh, so fun to see that legacy continue. And also, I'm a little be a little intimidated to appear before those uh, Oxford, uh, Oxford Dons, the the Oxford Dons. Uh, I do want to know a little more about that because you were um, you were got to go get married. So how did that how did that end? Because we kind of we 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 stopped there abruptly. Tell me a little bit more about that. Yeah. So um, essentially, this this one um, one guy in particular had graded uh, one of my papers at zero for the essay so I'd got really high marks in the Greek translation but for the New Testament paper he'd given me zero and Oxford's external examiners had picked this up as an anomaly and had said no you need to regrade this you can't give someone zero just because you don't like what they say and he had then insisted on this fiber so I I learned the backstory later obviously you have no idea going into into it so we had a lot of back and forth I mean one one thing he said to me was you don't honestly mean to tell us that after three years of studying at this university you actually believe Jesus said the words recorded in the gospels 
Wow. And, um, and I said, well, I find it interesting that you're coming at this with the presupposition that he did not say any of the words recorded in the gospel. I'd love to hear your evidence basis for that. I think there's a really strong evidence basis for the gospels being eyewitness material. And even if you're not going to agree with the words that Jesus said, the case can strongly be made that what we have in the gospels is an accurate record. And actually, um, you know, obviously things in scholarship have moved. Oh, there was already a great evidence base for that, you know, 20 what years ago. But now, you know, with with the research into that 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 um that has been done around around the New Testament and the use of personal names that that shows statistically that the gospel writers call people just incidentally in the gospels the right thing you know the records from from um, the ancient world have, have been studied to show this so you know there's really really robust evidence for this so that, that that's an example of the kind of thing he said and we went back and forth a lot and he adjusted all the the other 14 or the, of them adjusted my grade and so I was able to get a, a, a wow. really you know top grade in the end um, but it was it was such a, a profound experience for me as a 21 year old to see the levels of prejudice against against the Bible um, amongst educated people, including people who, you know, are studying even in that field. You know, a couple of years after that, I was driving to speak at an event and I was just listening to BBC radio and an archaeologist was being interviewed about a recent find in and it was around um, finding the city of Sheba. And the interviewer on the BBC was saying, well, you don't, you're not, you're not trying to tell us that, that this place, Sheba, actually existed. And the archaeologist, you know, not a Christian at all, was saying, yeah, yeah, we've, we've found these remains, we've found these inscriptions. And, and the BBC interview says, interviewer says, you're not honestly trying to tell us the Queen of Sheba is a historical person. She is, after all, a biblical character. Mm. You know the the prejudice was such and is such that um, that that people approach now the Bible with this disposition that that it must not be true, like that that there's some kind of you know big intellectual basis to believe that. And so, you know, we've experienced in Europe this shift since the 1950s of people having a generally positive view of the Christian faith and the Christian scriptures to now having a predominantly negative view. And that just means as believers, we've got to be equipped. You know, we don't just want to be on the back foot. We want to be on the front foot and show people that the Bible is 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 actually true. What it says is true. It's been accurately recorded, but it's also beautiful and good. And, you know, it brings joy to my heart to be involved in doing that. And it's my hope that as Christians in this moment in history in the West, we can recapture that confidence in the truth of the scriptures, but also in their beauty and truth, uh, beauty and goodness as well. Love it. Love it. And I love I love the, the biographical story that kind of walks through that. I think that speaks to some of the reality. Let me invite our callers again, 877-548-3675. We're talking to Amy Orr Ewing. Her book is Why Trust the Bible. Again, 877 877- Five four eight three six seven five. We got our first call from a guy named Brian in Southern California. Brian, you're live on the air. Maybe Brian, are you there? Brian doesn't seem to be there. 
Okay, we'll put you back on hold. Courtney just told me I'm here to put him back on hold. Now we're going to try. All right. So we're trying again. So, Brian, are you there now? Uh, let's see. Nope. Okay, so we'll hold off Hello? on that. Courtney. Oh, here we go. Brian, I hear you now. We're not sure what's going on. A little technological difficulty, but is that Brian? This is Brian, yes. <laughs> I think we Can you hear me? I think I think Amy and I both recognize that voice. Hi, Brian Hi, Broderson. Brian. <laughs> Brian Broderson from Hi, Calvary Amy. Chapel, Costa Mesa. There you go. Hello, Brian. Lovely to hear you. Oh, what a delight to tune in and hear your voice. And um inter- so interestingly, I'm listening to what you were just saying, Amy, about the BBC uh interviewer and all that. And I just listened to this fantastic report on the discovery of Sodom by Dr. Stephen Collins. And it was so uh, fascinating to hear, you know, what he was saying and the evidence for uh, the discovery of the ancient city, just in relation to what you were saying about the um, what happened on the BBC. And I'm so thankful for your ministry, Amy, and you know, just your firm stand on the authority of Scripture and the necessity of us believing and proclaiming that. Thank you, Brian. Yeah, we love you, Brian. Appreciate you. Thanks for calling in. And the book, by the way, he mentions Discovering the City of Sodom. It's by Stephen Collins, and I think it's Latain Scott as well. And I get one of the one of the joys of continuing to see. Um, archaeological work is that we do see like, you know, David doesn't exist. Well, then there's a coin, you know, and we can see these kind of patterns over and over again. So what, I mean, again, you know, the idea that Jesus was a mythical figure was not an uncommon view in liberal scholarship a century ago. Uh, Now, even people who don't necessarily believe he was who he claimed to be uh, would acknowledge that he existed, he taught and more. So what, what are some reasons that we should trust the Bible? And I'm going to, I'm going to let Amy lean in on that, but let me again, remind you, our number is 877-548-3675. So, you know, you're, you're, you're sitting down for tea as you do in the UK and someone says Mm -hmm. to you, why trust the Bible? What do you answer them, Amy? Yeah. So I think if they were asking that about, about the text, you know, can we, can we have confidence in it? I would probably begin with with the manuscript tradition and talk about how you know all ancient literature is is witnessed to by by manuscripts you know that's that's how how we have anything preserved at all and if you compare the new testament with any you know document or or piece of historical writing from equivalent periods we have way more evidence um, for the text of the New Testament. And that actually increases the the likelihood of there being variation, because obviously the, the higher the number of documents you have, the higher the likelihood of, of variation between those documents. But what we see with the New Testament, astoundingly and astonishingly, is very, very little textual variation. You see this, this kind of honor in, in preserving the text. And, and it's not just in the Greek language. You know, sometimes people envisage or imagine the Bible as a kind of tool of cultural imperialism. You know, it's been the stick the white man has used to beat the world with. But actually, you know, the New Testament was was obviously originally written um, in Greek, and then it was immediately translated into multiple languages throughout the known world. And so you have, not only do you not have this 
sort of cultural homogeny within the text itself. You have representations of Jews and Greeks and, you know, different cultures and languages right there in the, in, in the text, but also then in the way the text spread and was, was multiplied and then also obviously preserved for us. And I think that that speaks very profoundly into our cultural moment right now where it's it, there's not just a care for, for the evidence or the voice of the powerful having been preserved, but also the process of, of preservation actually being something that was incredibly democratic and also, you know, really diverse and inclusive. So, um, the evidence speaks for itself that the, 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 there's a very good basis to, to trust the text of the of the Bible. Good, good, good. I want to talk more because I want to talk about the claims made in the text of the Bible. And, yeah. you know, I and I want to also say, too, as we're about to have this conversation as well, that there have been times when I've had questions. I've doubted difficult times. You know, this Sunday I preached at my church, and it kind of surprised people when I said, you know, I've, I've doubted at times. I've struggled with things at times. And I, you know, I have confidence in my faith, but I don't always have complete certainty. But I happen to be preaching through 1 Corinthians 15, which is why I brought that up because mm. when I look at passages like First Corinthians 15, where he appeared, he appeared, he appeared four times. He appeared to, I mean, Paul actually says 500 people, some of whom are still living. You can actually go down the road and ask Bob and say, Bob, did you actually see that? And whereas I kind of contrasted, you know, Mormonism, this angel allegedly appears in upstate New York privately to Joseph Smith or even in Islam, mm. this angel appears and brings this new revelation eventually becomes the Quran. Christianity is a public faith with public claims. And I love that you're defending and arguing these claims of the truths of Christianity in public. And I want to invite our callers as well. We've got a couple more segments. Again, our number is 877-548-3675. I've been ministered to by Amy's book, Why Trust the Bible. I want to give you the opportunity to talk to her. 877-548-3675. We're going to continue our conversation with Amy or you and your calls in just a moment. Back with Amy Orr Ewing, who uh, we just learned in the last segment could uh, defend her doctoral dissertation in front of a group of Oxford Dons, then get married, it appears the next day, then leap tall buildings with a single bound. So what a great story. And, and she's a gift to the body of Christ. And I want to encourage you to pick up a copy of her book, Why Trust the Bible. Again, it's revised and updated um, in October of 2020. Just came out, Answers to 10 Tough Questions. Um, it's InterVarsity published it. and uh, But again, it's, it goes back 15 years to, since I read the first version. And I think you'll be encouraged uh, by it as well. Well, so let's let's take some calls here. Let's go to uh, let's go to line four from James in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. James, uh, by the way, uh, Amy, I need to explain to you that Tuscaloosa, Alabama. There's a rule you have to say when you take any call from Tuscaloosa, and it's it's a football reference, college American football. It says "Roll Tide." So so "Roll Tide," James, and then go okay. ahead with your question. All right, roll, roll tide. We appreciate that. Roll tide. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> uh, well, first of all, I just want to applaud you because I have been a fan of yours from years back when you were with RZIM, and I've read some of your works, and I've watched some of your videos, and I am just deeply impressed and even more impressed when I've heard part of the backstory. But um, I, I just always have a burden for the church, and apologetics is one of those areas in which I have a, a very big burden. And my question, I guess, is uh, 
like on your website or are you associated with a, a with another organization now where we could get resources to get them into our churches to help people be stronger in their faith? James, that's a great question, too. I want you to hold on a second, though, because my producer is going to come on and give you a copy of Why Trust the Bible, the newest edition. But, Amy, it's right here. We want to, and I invite you to tell, where can we get more to engage some of the resources that you have? And in general, broadly about apologetics, what would you suggest? Thank you so much for that question. And thank you for your encouragement. It's it's really wonderful to hear that. Um, so I'm now connected with the University of um, Aberdeen in Scotland. Uh, that's, that's sort of my professional connection. But I've got my own website, which is just my name, amyor-ewing.com. And there are lots of resources there. Um, and you know, when I'm making new videos and writing new new material, um, those resources are, are, are all available on that website. So um, that's where I would point you for the apologetics yeah. material that I'm involved in. And of course, there's a lot of other stuff that, that wonderful people are doing. Sean McDowell's been mentioned. Um, you can look at the Tim Keller Center people as well. That yeah, there's, there's lots of great stuff happening. Um, and it's a really exciting time to be involved in apologetics, I think, because the questions are, are changing, but the gospel is unchanging and is yeah. just as true um, today as it was yesterday. Yeah, and let me let me uh, remind people too, if they go to edstetzerlive.com, all the links, so you can get to Amy's Twitter and Facebook and her website and the book, it's all Thank linked you, right there <laughs> as well. So just go to edstetzerlive.com, click on this episode, and you can find all that information as well. I, I wonder too, and let me just invite people to continue to call in. We're going to get to other callers uh, in just a minute. And again, our number is 877-548-3675. We're particularly focusing on apologetics and evangelism. Again, 877-548-3675. So because you've been doing this for, you know, a while, I mean, you know, the first White Trust the Bible came out in, I think, 2005. If I get that date wrong, please correct me. Yeah, no, that's but, right. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I mean, the I mean, we're almost 20 years, right? So the the I, I wonder how the response to the good news of the gospel, to the claims of apologetics— how has it changed from people, from secular people? Is it more hostile, less hostile, more open, less open? Talk, talk us a little about, maybe it's multifaceted. Tell us about yeah, that. Yeah, it's really multifaceted, I think. Um, so in the 20 years that I've been involved in this kind of ministry, I would say as I began, you know, the sort of postmodern ideals of not wanting to be arrogant or exclusive, those were really predominant in people's concerns. So the idea that Jesus might say he's the only way to God, that would have been a big red no for a lot of people. Um, and, and the idea of any kind of exclusive if claim was, was worrying. And the sense that if you believed in the Bible, that might make you an, a sort of arrogant bigot. Mm. And then we began to move through the years of the new atheism. And the questions began to shift. I guess, away from relativism and truth and more to moral questions. So through Dawkins and others, the shift came as people began to say, actually, your God is, is not just non-existent, it's also evil and wrong and dangerous. Mm -hmm. And believing in any kind of religious system with too much conviction is dangerous. You know, just look at, at that time, the rise of Al-Qaeda, people would point to things in Islam and say, you know, the problem is people believing their religious system too much and and your God in the Bible is just as bad. You know, look at the the commands to kill people in the Old Testament, that, that kind of thing. And then we've sort of shifted, I think, 
into a, into the era where we are right now, where I would say um, you've got a whole cluster of questions around things like colonialism, empire, and patriarchy, which is still connected to essentially, you know, Christianity has been a force for bad in the world, not good. So questions around that. And now also questions around identity politics. So this idea that you know, um, basically my sense of grievance, my own sense of, of being a victim of, of moral wrongdoing or oppression in any way, that is what defines me as a human being. And Christianity, with your stances on, you know, sexuality and your, your stances on um, gender identity, that puts you against me and my sort of sense of what my identity is and so there's this high level of threat this sense of you know um your ideas are going to be a danger to me and then add to that as well right now the cultural moment we're in just massive anxiety high high levels of anxiety and so i think a lot of the apologetic work we're doing right now is proclaiming the truth and peace that jesus that Jesus brings, showing how uh, materialism and godless ideologies have actually left us empty when they promise to fill us. And Jesus has, has something different to offer in this world. But also, I think, addressing the identity politics narrative and saying your view that what it means to be human is to define yourselves on the basis of the oppression you've experienced you know, that that actually leads to misery and it leads to rage. You know, what the Christian faith has to say is that you were created in the image of God. It's a positive view of what it means to be human. Your preciousness as a human being, your sanctity of your life is, is affirmed. And, you know, the narrative of the Bible, the story of the Bible is 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 actually true at the deepest level. And your that means that your life is really worth living. That also means that injustice in this world really matters. And that ultimately it means there there is a God who's going to judge us and there is moral accountability, you know, there are all, all sorts of other aspects of the gospel story that really connect right now with the cultural moment we're in. So, yeah, there's been a massive change, but I think we can be equally confident in Jesus today. You know, I've, I've just come out of university mission season here. We do a lot of that in the UK between sort of January and, and March. And I had the joy of seeing secular, hostile students just absolutely immersed in identity politics hear the gospel, be confronted with who Jesus is, be drawn to who he is and, and you know, accept him as Lord. You know, we're seeing that on, on campuses here, here in Europe. So um, I want to encourage you that it, it, it is hard. The questions are hard right now. And it can feel hard to be on the receiving end of people's rage about religion. And I'm sure lots of us have experienced that maybe over the Thanksgiving table or the Christmas table, you know, re relatives and extended family. But if we can journey with people in their questions, we can show how that rage at perceived injustice in the world is pointing towards God, not away from him. It's pointing towards the Christian story that tells us that this world is not how things were meant to be. And that that, that innate preciousness of human life is, is rooted in that gospel story of the image of God.
So I think there are loads of opportunities for, for the gospel right now. And, you know, we can be confident that the gospel is true, but it's also good and beautiful and it can connect with people even today. Fascinating. Good, 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 good questions. Good conversation. Let's let's lean into some of the callers that we have as as well. Uh, let's start with Thomas. Thomas from South Dakota. Thomas, you're live on the air with your question or your comment. Go ahead. Hi, Amy. How are you guys? Hi, good, good, Thomas. Go. Yeah, go right ahead with your question. Good. Yes, thanks for taking my call. Um, it's pretty obvious the Lord's hand has been on your life to you know for all that you're doing. But my question is, how do you read the Bible? Um, for the purpose of moving into apologetics with someone versus getting into an argument. But, you know, how, how do you, how do you suggest reading the Bible for the purpose of moving into apologetics? Good. Now, Thomas, I want you to hold on the line too, so that my producer, Karen, will jump on the line after you hear Amy's answer and she'll give you a copy of why trust the Bible. But uh, go ahead, Amy, what do you think? Yeah. So, um, I think that's a really interesting question. And obviously there are lots of ways we can do that. I've been doing this a lot with um, the parables and teachings of, of, of Jesus, which increasingly are unfamiliar to people. So um, in an open Q&A um, that I was in fairly recently with, with young people, you know, under 20, asking, you know, how on earth could you believe in the Bible's view on sex, you know, it's just so, so outdated. And, you know, I began by, by, by saying, you know, this, since the 1960s in the West, you've been told a story, a narrative that tells you the more sexual experiences you, you have, the happier you will be, you know, promiscuity is a, is a route to, to liberation and to joy and fulfillment in life. But my question is, is that working for you? <laughs> you know, has that actually delivered on its promise? And the studies would suggest no. Studies suggest that this generation is more anxious and miserable than, you know, than multiple previous generations. So then I said, you know, um, Jesus Christ claimed to be God with us. And he had something to say about this. He said, you know, we have these hungers and desires. And, you know, uh, we, we, we will consume and eat the, the food that we think is going to fulfill them. But there's this other kind of bread and there's this other kind of food. And it's only that that can ultimately satisfy that longing and desire in you. And I said, you know, that's a testable claim too. the, the story of our culture you know, you've tried it and tested it. Why don't you try following Jesus and mm. see if his claim to be the bread of life actually stands up or not? So, you know, we can take um, a statement or a phrase from Jesus and sort of apply it to the to the question that, that we find in culture. And, you know, I find that people who've never heard the words of Jesus find themselves just drawn to him, you know, and it's, it's exciting to, to get to do that. So I'd encourage you to do it in really simple ways like that. Good deal. We're going to continue our conversation with Amy or Ewing in just a moment. We've got your calls. We're going to go to Karen. We're going to go to Karen in Tennessee. We're going to go to Michael in Dayton, Ohio, and others as well. And again, we have one more segment if you want to jump in with a phone call. Good questions, by the way. 877-548-3675. And you can just tell listening to Amy, you'd want her to be the person representing you in some of those conversations. But she's also encouraging us to engage in those conversations. Join us. 877-548-3675.
Hey, welcome back. It's Dexter Live. We're having a fascinating and helpful conversation with Amy or Ewing. Amy has written a bunch of books. I actually um, had recommended one book to my, my parents were asking about suffering, and I shared a book she had written called Where is God in All the Suffering? It's a part of the Questioning Faith series. You can find all of her books at her website, which is linked at edstetzerlive.com. We're primarily focusing on Why Trust the Bible, Answers to 10 Tough Questions, which if you're familiar with, was actually updated and re-released in October of 2020. So brand new. Okay, so I want to get to questions, and I've already mentioned we're going to go to Karen, then we're going to go to Michael. But before we do, we're in our last segment, and we've got kind of a short time frame. So I want to encourage our callers to succinctly ask those questions, and then we'll throw them to Amy, who will give the usual brilliant answer she does, and then we'll continue to see how many questions we can cover. So let's go to Karen first. Karen, you're live on the air with your question or comment. Go right ahead. Uh, yes, I have. I don't have a specific question, but I ha- I'm really grateful that I have found out how to get more resources. I have two family members, well, more, but two that I am in contact with that have decided the Bible isn't true, mm-hmm. uh, that God isn't real, and I am not equipped in a- apologetics, so I look forward to looking up awesome. these resources. Thank awesome, you. and we're, we're going to give you a copy of Why Trust the Bible. Just hang on, and our producer, Karen, will jump right on. Let's go over to Michael in Dayton, Ohio. Uh, Dayton, you're live. Michael, go ahead. Yes, uh, my question is, with uh, society seeming to have moved away in large part from a biblical understanding, what kinds of questions do you find are effective today to begin a conversation about the Bible you know, with the hope of uh, finding an opening to share the gospel. Oh, I love it. Michael, stay in the line because Karen's going to give you a copy. Our producer's going to come on and give you a copy of the book. Amy, what do you think about Michael's question? Yeah, thank you. I think that's a brilliant question. Um, It might be that you could begin by asking them um, a question about what they love to read and then share what you love to read and why. So begin with that that sort of personal connection and perhaps... um, be ready with with something from the scriptures, something about Jesus that 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 might strike them as relevant. I'm I'm talking a lot about you know Jesus's phrase, uh, "My peace I give you, my peace I leave with you, and I do not give as the world gives." As my intro to a conversation about the Bible at the moment, because people are really concerned about anxiety and they're quite interested that there could be a peace that is beyond this world. And so that that might be a reason for someone to read the Bible. Um, another one that I find, and I don't know if this would work for you, but uh, that I'm I'm able to talk about the Bible as as sort of uniquely carrying women's perspectives and talk about the role of women um, as historic witnesses to the resurrection of Jesus, but also to the crucifixion. And obviously, of course, Mary, the primary witness to the incarnation of Jesus. And so that's been a way in for me as a woman um, to to introduce the Bible as interesting and and relevant and different. Um, So it may be that you can find um, a, a few scriptures that that really connect with you and that are meaningful to you. So you ask somebody, "What's what are you reading that's interesting at the moment? And then um, segue into, into what you would like to share. And that's that's often how conversation works, isn't it? If you ask a question first, then you, you might have the opportunity to share something more personally yourself. 
So good. Nancy, we're going to go to you in just a minute. So I want you to be ready with that brief question or comment. But let me also mention, just I love what you said, Amy. I mean, it kind of undermines the narrative that Christianity is anti-woman when you begin with the remarkable fact that the women were the first witnesses. And yeah. so and so part of that conversation is is undermining incorrect assumptions. Nancy, let's go to you. I think you'll be our last call. You're live on the air, Nancy. Go ahead. How can I help my grandchild know and accept that the Bible is true? She has grown up in a Christian home. She just graduated from college, and she states that she does not really believe in Jesus. And I have difficulty engaging her in conversation about the Bible or about Jesus. Oh, Nancy, what a great question. We're going to give you a copy of uh, of the book about that might help, Amy's book. But Amy, we got about a minute left. What would you encourage? How would you encourage yeah. Nancy? So first of all, I just want to um, say thank you, and I will I will pray for your granddaughter after this call. And because the first thing to say is this is something the Holy Spirit does. So we need to begin in prayer, particularly if we feel, you know, someone's had a lot of information and they're, you know, they're really turning away or they're very far away. This is something God loves to do to draw, um, to draw people back to Him. I think the second thing I would say is I would focus less on trying to get her to accept that the whole Bible is true and more um, begin the conversation about evidence for Jesus, which obviously some of that evidence for Jesus is in the Bible, but it, it, it stands up regardless of whether someone's starting point is that the Bible is already true. So maybe don't try to achieve too much in the conversation like I've got to get her to accept the Bible is the word of God, but begin the conversation by actually getting her to engage with the evidence around Jesus. And then I think the third thing I would want to want to say is maybe also focus on um, on who Jesus is and why Jesus is wonderful. You know, it may be that this, your granddaughter has had negative experiences of the church or, or Christians or, or feels like her experience of Christianity has been in some way oppressive and that can really blind us or hinder us from actually seeing and appreciating who Jesus is and what Jesus is really like. So um, I think those would be the three things I would focus on. Pray for her, begin a conversation about evidence without worrying about accelerating her to accepting the whole of the Bible is true and then maybe try and really focus on specifically the person of Jesus and how wonderful he is and how that might apply to her and be meaningful to her. Love it. So many ways I could describe, Amy or Ewing, uh, wise and winsome are two that consistently come to mind. I think you've seen that in that final answer as you've seen, you'll see it in her book, Why Trust the Bible. I want to encourage you to pick up a copy. We've had the privilege of giving a few away as well. Let me thank my team here behind the scenes at Moody Radio, my producer, Karen Hendren. You saw me reference her a few times, Courtney Young, engineer, Charles on the phone. Stay tuned next week. I'm going to talk with speaker and author Sean McDowell. We talked about him. We're going to talk with him next week. And we're talking about how to share the love of Christ with our friends, colleagues, and families in culture. To hear the program again, as always, go to edstetzerlive.com or the Moody Radio app. Thanks for listening to Ed Stetzer Live.